Hey, this is Jonathan with Q&A podcast number 22, and I am here with my lovely and talented wife. We were just joking about no fab for pets, but <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> don't worry. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. We've got, I believe it's seven excellent biohacking, life hacking questions to address here. So first of all, I'd urge you, before you purchase or ingest anything, to go check out my very exhaustive, detailed guide on how to biohack smart and safe. Because biohacking, using all these different supplements and technology that we talk about here on this channel, is not a totally risk-free endeavor. There are some best practices for avoiding any type of health downside, along with not wasting your money. And honestly, wasting your money is probably a bigger risk than suffering some sort of undesirable side effect from some self-experimentation that you're doing. So what you hear here and what you read on my website is not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I'm just an experienced unlicensed self-experimenter practicing free speech here, talking about my own extensive experiences and my interpretations of published science. And I'll direct your attention to a tab on my website. It's underneath the membership tab on my website, and I have biohacking, consulting, and coaching there. And this is a pretty good idea if you are interested in upgrading your performance, if you're interested in overcoming some of the perhaps uh, cognitive deficits that you're maybe struggling with, and you've been looking around on the internet and you're honestly just kind of overwhelmed by information. You've been Googling things and not really finding good answers, or you've been finding conflicting information, and you want to get on a phone call or a Skype call with somebody that can answer some questions for you, I would be really helpful. I would, I would love to do that with you. I do that with plenty of people. And pretty consistently, the, the insights that I have for them and the protocols and kind of the action strategies that I give them really make a difference for them kind of in the, in the medium term. If you're willing to follow different biohacking protocols for several weeks or for several months with some consistency, you can often really overcome what you are struggling with. And this consulting kind of goes hand in hand with what I call lean life coaching. So I am not like a trained psychologist. I'm not really a person that's appropriate to talk through your past, talk through your childhood with, I'll, I'll leave that to the people who are a bit more qualified, a bit more interested in that. What I do is I speak with people usually about what are their immediate or their challenges that they're dealing with as far as their health, as far as mindset, as far as different things in their life, even like approach anxiety. I talked with a really cool guy the other day who was dealing with really crippling approach anxiety. And I think I gave him about about five or six ideas of overcoming approach anxiety that he had never heard of before. And he was like really energized to get out there and do his thing. And so what I do with this consulting is I have this package. I call it lean life coaching because it's just two phone calls. We do an initial consultation, which is 60 minutes. And we'll talk about what your kind of unique challenges are in regards to a health thing, a biohacking thing, or a, a lifestyle thing, you know, like the approach anxiety. And then we'll come up with an action plan. And then I will actually monitor you to make sure that you're doing what you should be doing. And the reason this is a pretty good idea if you're, let's say you're a person, you've had some goal in life, you have some challenge that you really want to overcome, but you seem to keep repeating 
history. You seem to keep running into a glass ceiling of improvement or positive transformation. If that's the case, you're really going to want to get two motivational mechanisms working in your life. The first is social pressure, and the second is what's called sunk cost. Social pressure you're already probably pretty familiar with. This is if you have somebody that you that you respect and they have an expectation of you to do something, you're going to be way, way more likely to do it. It just keys into one of those evolutionary things in our psychology where we really get motivated if we know that we have exterior expectations. The second is sunk cost. And this is a real consistent phenomena where if you spend money on something, you're going to be a whole lot more motivated to follow through and do what you know you should be doing. And I have a, I'll share a real quick example with you. There was a entrepreneurship idea that I came up with. It was probably about almost two years ago now for a gold marketplace website. And I bought an $11 domain name to go along with it. And I started building the website with some free tools that are out there to do that sort of thing. And to be honest, I worked on it for about a week and a half. And then life got in the way, other projects got in the way, and I let it just sit undeveloped for about a year after that. And then I said, holy crap, this is a great idea. This is something that could really, you know, propel my entrepreneurial endeavors to the next level. And I spent a moderate amount of money. I bought a premium domain name, a domain name that actually cost me over a hundred dollars marketplace.gold, go check it out. And I purchased some premium software to install into it to make it a really great website. And I had to drop some coin on that. And I found the sunk cost motivation kicking in. And I found that motivation. I found the time to finish the website and bring my vision to fruition. So I urge you, if you have something that you know you really should accomplish in 2019 that you've been thinking about and maybe dabbling with in 2018 and 2017, maybe 2016, get social pressure and the sunk cost motivation working for you, which is exactly what I do with my lean, with my lean life coaching. It is lean. It isn't a ton of time that we're spending together. So I think it is relatively economically really a great value compared with the other life coaching offers that I have seen out there. Okay. So let's dive into the questions. I believe the first one is from Jess. Okay, I just purchased the Paracetam protocol almost a month ago using your links and arrived two weeks later. I started taking Paracetam with six, eight servings of the free one-eighth teaspoon scoop that came with the package last December 24th. I'm still waiting for my milligram scale to arrive. I noticed a subtle increase in focus and clarity. My questions are, Number one, how long does it take for me to get the full effect of paracetam? I'm thinking that the ones I took were not enough. So paracetam is kind of unique as a smart drug. It has this cumulative effect where it depends upon the person. Some people will take it and then about 30 or 45 minutes, they'll really feel that nootropic effect from it. They'll really feel more focused, more energetic. They'll feel their their cognitive cylinders firing with just a bit more, bit more strength. But for a lot of people, it takes some time, typically in between 10 to 14 days of dosing. But actually, researching the anecdotes of paracetam last year, I saw that there's even people that they have to take it for like a month or two to really start to notice that it's empowering their mind. Should I start taking an attack dose? How many grams am I allowed to take? Attack doses, I'm not a really big fan of because it's not that economical. You're using more of the stuff. 
And <clears throat> a lot of times, too, an attack dose can set your tolerance quite high of a supplement. So with something like paracetam, I'd recommend starting with a, starting with a lower dose and then sort of working your way up. With paracetam, there's a real spectrum of what's an appropriate dose. For a lot of people, they can take a little bit of the stuff and it's still pretty effective as a nootropic. For myself, I'll take maybe 800 milligrams, maybe a gram of the stuff, and it still gives me a pretty good cognitive bang. But the there's going to be a spectrum, and the middle of the spectrum is going to usually be in between 3 to 5 grams daily. How many grams of rhodiola should I take? It wasn't mentioned in the protocol. Sorry about that. I'll add that to the protocol. You should be taking rhodiola at a whole lot lower dosage. There was a great book on rhodiola that's worth reading by any biohackers that are really serious called The Rhodiola Revol Revolution. And they speak in there that your kind of like your maintenance dosage of rhodiola is going to be quite low. It's going to be as little as 250 to 300 milligrams. And then the high end of rhodiola is going to be about 650 milligrams. So you really don't want to take grams and grams of rhodiola. You might find that overstimulating. Personally, when I want to have a real stimulating day, when I want to really be pepped up and I'm using rhodiola, I'll, I'll take more like the 600 grams. And that's just fine, especially in combination with paracetam. Next question. Is there any optimum time of the day that I have to take the nootropics? You'll have to self-experiment a bit because it's going to vary. Most people will do a morning dose and then they'll do like a mid-afternoon dose. Okay, next question. I'm taking the paracetam in two parts, two grams after waking up in the morning, then another two, 2.8 grams before going to work. I'm mixing it with grape juice to mask the taste. Will it decrease the potency of paracetam? Yes, paracetam does not taste great and grape juice, it's a real strong taste. I don't see any problem with that, provided you're not using like that really crappy grocery store grape juice that just has an obscene amount of sugar in it. And doing two grams in the morning and two in the afternoon is just fine. What would be the best way to cycle with the nootropics after a month or two months? I'm actually planning to go for two months, then cycle for a month or two. That sounds good to me. You do want to cycle a bit with nootropics because you'll have these neurobiological mechanisms and pathways of enhancement. And when you continue to use the same nootropics day in and day out or week in and week out, you do eventually exhaust those pathways and you want to give them a little bit of a break. So I would recommend using something like the paracetam protocol for two to three months. And then it would be probably a good idea to actually go off of nootropics. You could go off of nootropics for a whole month if you wanted to, or you could just go off of them for about a week. And you should actually notice that your mind has kind of internalized some of that energy and motivation and enhanced cognition. I did a survey within a longevity group about paracetam specifically and the majority of the respondents to the survey said that after they had used paracetam for some time, they found that their baseline level of cognition and memory was actually higher even off of the paracetam. So it's a good idea to take a break. It could be a couple, a week, two weeks, could be a month. You'll have to see how you feel. And then you can go back on the paracetam if you want, or you could 
try something new. I'm a big fan of novelty. So I say, try something new after a month or two. Is it okay to take Alcar on empty stomach? I read your post about taking rhodiola in the morning, 30 minutes before meal, and I'm just wondering if that would also be the case for Alcar. That should be fine. In the case of rhodiola, there's some clinical evidence and a lot of anecdotal evidence that it's a good idea to take it on an empty stomach about 30 minutes before a meal. That was certainly my experience. You can try Alcar with and without food. I did a bit of research on this and I even found a longevity thread where people were discussing their Alcar usage and it seemed like it didn't make that big of a difference. Although I think the majority of people were saying that they used, that they did it on an empty stomach. Alcar is what L-carnitine gets digested into. So you eat something like steak and you get a hearty dosage of L-carnitine and then your body metabolizes that into Alcar, which goes into your brain, which empowers your mitochondria. So Alcar needs to be, when you consume Alcar directly, you are kind of bypassing a bit of the metabolism process. So it probably doesn't make all that big of it, big of a difference, but you can do a bit of self-experimentation there and see what makes you feel more empowered. I'm planning to go as far as nine grams of paracetam daily. Would it be all right? Hmm. Nine grams is certainly towards the high end of the dosage spectrum with paracetam. Uh, 12 11 or 12 grams of paracetam daily is considered kind of extreme, but there's actually a lot of biohackers out there that take that much. I would say, especially if you're combining with paracetam, with all of these other stimulants, with all these other good nootropics that you've asked me about, you're probably okay with going with a lesser dose of the stuff. You can probably go with more of a medium dose, which would be something like three to four, maybe five grams daily. And I think you're going to be really quite uh, quite empowered and quite energetic. As I mentioned in that paracetam protocol, you want to try to find your optimal dose. And optimal dose varies from person to person, of course. And, you know, it varies on yourself and what's going on with your life. It varies on your your general health. But I recommend that you start with a quite low dose. I recommend that you start with something like just a gram or just two grams of the stuff daily and then work your way up until you find really a sweet spot. And doing that, as opposed to just taking a ton of the stuff, you can certainly save yourself money. Next question. Hey, Light Red Brother, can you give me your list of efficient nootropics? I'm a musician, drawer, and main, what people call an artist, working mainly toward rising consciousness. Would you help me in my endeavor? I'm looking for lifespan, increase, memory, focus, well-being, and anything that your holistic sense would believe could fit someone doing bass music, violent club music. If you need something from me, feel free to ask. Well, that's nice. I need something that destroys the floor. (laughs) I don't think he means that, literally. Like I discussed destroying the floor in mm-hmm. my in my book review, actually, of the two. Actually, AM she's a lady. Principal. That's a lady? Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought it might have been a gentleman, as he said. No. Hey, light red brother. No, she's okay. a lady. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, there's a couple of nootropics that I think will enhance your musical aptitude. There's two nootropics that have a consistent and notable effect of actually enhancing the experience of music and making music more enjoyable, uh, increasing the, the dopamine that listening to music stimulates. And that's phenibut, first of all. 
Phenibut is this GABAergic. So it works kind of the same way as alcohol, but it has this really cool effect that alcohol doesn't, I don't think, which is that it makes music more pleasurable. And Phenibut's pretty subtle, but what I found with it is I know that the Phenibut has kicked in when I start enjoying music more. That's the telltale sign that the Phenibut has become pharmacologically active in my cortex. Phenibut, you're going to want to see my other videos and articles on it because it is a gabergic, so it can be addictive. It has a couple of downsides, but it's mostly pretty benign, pretty safe stuff. And it would, yeah, it would make you just a bit more attuned to the music. And then secondly, there's a racetam, which is a real quintessential smart drug. It's a cognitive enhancer called oxyracetam. And oxyracetam has kind of the same effect, but not quite the same as Phenibut. You'd really have to try both and see how you like them. Oxyracetam makes music just a bit more enthralling. It, it increases your, your sensitivity to the ups and downs and all the musical subtleties in the music that you're creating there for raising people's consciousness. So you might want to check those two things out. I'm getting the impression that this person is like a, a DJ. So they're probably like working at nightclubs or concerts and playing music for people all night long. So they should also probably consider paracetam. And paracetam doesn't really have an effect on your perception of music, but it's going to increase your motor coordination. So if you're like a DJ, you're really dependent upon your, you know, mastering of the dials, you know, that, that, uh, artistic twiddling of the dials. Paracetam is something that can make you just a bit more sharp, as can modafinil. Modafinil is this wakefulness drug that increases your motor control. It's actually used by a bunch of militaries and soldiers around the world because of that very consistent effect from it. So it would be really good for a DJ. Modafinil and paracetam are both wakefulness smart drugs. They're going to make you really awake. They're definitely going to stave off sleep. So if you're a DJ that's staying up spinning parties till like 6 or 7 a.m., those two would be a pretty good idea. I don't think she's a DJ. Hmm. Yeah, she said she was an artist and a musician. Okay, well, we'll entitle the podcast Smart Drugs for DJs. Lacan is even worse. I like Foucault, though. Proper scholar. He shouldn't be lumped with obscurantists like Lacan and Derrida, but there is a general tendency to do so. This deconstruction nonsense is now deeply rooted in the US academia, so much so that it was forced down my throat back in, back at Ithaca College in 1998, with a class disguised by the name Media Aesthetics and Analysts. Analysts had nothing to do with either. It was taught by a condescending, cynical, lesbian, communist, feminazi. Pure garbage, but I had to study it to get my degree. Mm. So this was a podcast that I had done mostly on Derrida, who was one of the founders of postmodern philosophy. You'll want to check out this podcast. I explain in it how postmodernism is this field of philosophy that barely deserves to be called philosophy. Postmodernism is kind of a adolescent angst against civilization. If you remember back to when you were a young person and maybe you wanted to go out to a fun party or something like that, and your parents or some authority figure said, no, you can't do that. You have to stay home and study and be sober and prepare for your future. 
And most people kind of grow out of this adolescent angst. But in France, there was a couple of these postmodernist philosophers that kind of let that particular angst and rage just grow within them into this philosophical system where they're, uh, it's called deconstructionism. And deconstructionism is probably not a inherently negative or bad thing. In deconstructionism, what they try to do is they try to look at different things in society, different uh, thoughts, ideas, uh, social movements, that sort of thing, and break them down into their constituent pieces to understand them, which is not really inherently bad. But the deconstructionists, the postmodernists, they make what I think is kind of a fundamental human error that's very, very common, which is making the assumption that human beings are naturally moral, making the assumption that human beings are naturally good and that we have all these different uh, layers of moral systems and social standards, cultural standards that stifle that natural good within us and make us make us evil. And that's why we see so much evil manifest in the world. And the idea of people like Foucault and Derrida was that we should deconstruct society totally, that everything in society, all of our, all of our systems, things like the way that men and women relate to each other and come together and form families, all of these things just need to be done away with. And we should all just kind of be, we should all be just given the extreme maximum degree of freedom to just pursue what our biological desires were. And that if we get rid of all systems of morality and society, then the natural goodness of people is just going to manifest. And anyone with a modicum of common sense should see that this is pretty ridiculous. Almost always when you remove moral systems from society, people begin to act in a very selfish, impulsive way, and you see breakdown, you see brutality. And I'm a little bit puzzled by Doug's response here, though, because he was saying, I like Foucault, though. And Foucault is probably the, the worst amongst these, amongst these three uh, amongst these three looters of civilization, Lacan, Derrida, and Foucault, uh, especially if you take a look at Foucault's personal life at all. Sicko. Yes, he was a hardcore sicko. He was a uh, homosexual, a pedophile. He actually was one of the people that put his name on a a document on a on a movement in France quite a while ago, back in probably the 60s or the 70s, moving to try to legalize totally pedophilia in France. And he, you can go and look up different statements that he made. He was he was in a very creepy, very psychopathic way, an advocate of uh, violence and suicide and also self-mutilation. He was very positive about a lot of things that any normal person with a normal grounded sense of morality would just be absolutely disgusted by. And there might be people out there that would say, well, you know, that was just his his personal life. You can't uh, judge his ideas by his personal life. And I think I think that I think that we can. I think that we can take a look at people's personal lives and what their personal values are and what they do in the world and how they treat other people and I think we can cast judgment upon the philosophical ideas that they have for all of the rest of us based upon how things are going for them and how things are going for the people around them. So I'd suggest that people that want to know more about this, if you want to 
take a, a look at a really sick mind, if that interests you at all. There was two videos that Stefan Molyneux did. One was called Postmodernism's Dangerous History, and the other one was actually on France, and it was on how Foucault and these postmodernists have politically influenced France a whole lot, and they go into uh, really the, the sordid, nasty details of these people's lives. And so I'm, I'm wondering, what's what's up with Doug? Maybe uh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. He may not know the history of Foucault. I have not read Foucault, but I have heard that he was, uh, that, that he, he was a decent writer, uh, whereas people like Derrida are just supposed to be impossible, n- next to impossible to read because they're just so dense and so full of nonsense in your writing. So it may be that the uh, that the writing, that the prose enticed you a little bit, but I'd urge you to look at people's character and history. Yes, things usually intertwine. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. So his personal life, I mean, Foucault's personal life, probably had some connection to his writing. Yeah, and he he lived quite a while. I think he died at, what did it say, he was born in... 1923, and then he died of AIDS in like the 80s. So he lived a long time. And people's philosophies, their personal philosophies, their ideological philosophy that they espouse, it should manifest in their life. And if people's lives are going great as a result of their philosophy and their outlook on life, then you should take their advice. And if they're dying of AIDS and praising pedophilia at the end of their life, then that says a lot. Okay, next question. Too much. It actually says too much. Next question comes from Tommy D. Hey, Johnny, thanks for the heads up on your new book. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe I can get some insight into a nootropic or a stack of nootropics for somebody that is older than a lot of people and whose brain is going to suck. I basically just went with a combination of Procera AVH and Mood for several years and then tried Procera Advanced Brain. I read a good review of that on a website. I've been on that for maybe a couple, two, three months and noticed I couldn't sleep at night unless I took it during the day. If I took it after 6 p.m., I couldn't sleep, or I would go to sleep and wake up after 2-3 hours. I can't really say as it's doing much, though. Congratulations to you on your success. I hope you guys have lots of kids, if that's what you want. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we want. (laughs) That is what we want. Your last message that I got was that you were getting married. Well, we already did. Yes, that's what we did. And thanks for checking out my book, Tommy. Yes, that's important. Mm -hmm. So he mentioned that he was older and he felt like he was uh, dealing with cognitive decline. And if that's the case, then, then... you're really going to want to take a bit more of an aggressive approach to your biohacking. You are not going to overcome a lifetime of the, you know, the strain and the daily stress that's on your brain by just taking a single product or a single supplement. You're going to want to look at a, a full spectrum biohacking approach of optimizing your diet, optimizing your sleep, optimizing your exercise, optimizing the lighting that is around you, mindfulness, brain training. You'll want to, if if you're reading my book, which it sounds like you are, I discuss almost all of these things pretty in depth in there. So you'll have to pick out the different tactics, strategies, and tools in the book that are appealing to you and go with those because a single nootropic product like this Procera Advanced Brain stuff can can help. Hopefully it will. But honestly, you're going to want to have some mitochondrial support in your supplementation. 
especially if you're a bit older, as the decades pass, the mitochondria, they, they, they tend to get a bit rusty and not work optimally. And this is at the foundation. This is at the cause of so many of these conditions of aging and decline that we struggle with. So you're going to want to consider mitochondrial support supplements. Some of the things that I've talked about already in this podcast, like Alcar and Paracetam, it would be a really good idea for you to be supplementing also some high quality, high absorption CoQ10. That's a really good idea. You'd want to look at some other things like PQQ, D-ribose. I'll link to an article where I describe different mitochondrial supplements. And if you really want to stay sharp, if you really want to age gracefully, it would be a good idea to pick those things up. Now, I'm taking a look at the product you mentioned, Procera Advanced Brain, and it looks like a not bad product. It's priced at $47 on Amazon. When I see nootropic stacks that are priced under $40, I almost always disregard them. If they're priced under $40, they're almost always crap. They probably don't contain the ingredients that are advertised on them because there's nobody out there double-checking and ensuring that these things actually contain the ingredients that are advertised. This is why I urge that people use products that publish their certificate of analysis so they prove to you with a spectroscopy report that you can see on their website or on my website showing that it actually has the ingredients in it. However, in the case of Procera Advanced Brain, I see that they're using different specific extracts and derivatives. So this product is probably a little bit better than the majority of the products there on Amazon. I can see a wide spectrum of B vitamins on it. It has some ginkgo in it. It has some ginseng along with some ashwagandha and rhodiola rosea. So it has some good things in it. I would urge you to try some new things. This is the the challenge uh, and the but but it's also kind of a fun part of biohacking, which is that you tr- you have to try multiple things, multiple products, and you'll figure you, you'll try five different things, and you'll figure out one or two things that work really great for you. So in, in the case of this product, I haven't tried this product. I really don't know very much about it. I would be just a little bit skeptical because I'm not seeing a COA for it anywhere. I'm a really big fan of this stuff called Neurostack by Aqualife, which I will link to in the podcast notes that you can find below wherever you're listening to this podcast. And that contains, it's a bit pricier as it should be because it contains a number of really high quality patented ingredients, uh, notably things like lion mane, lion's mane. And I would urge you to check out something like that. You could even try the paracetam protocol that I mentioned earlier because you just don't know what's in a product if you don't see a COA for it. And you mentioned that it was causing you issues falling asleep. That's a little bit odd considering the ingredients of this product. Typically products that contain a lot of caffeine will mess with your sleep. Sometimes rhodiola can as well, which is one of these that makes me a little bit curious if maybe they have put, if maybe they have put caffeine into this product to add some extra pep to it. And then they omitted that from the label. That is certainly something that is possible. So I would say just try switching to a different product. See if it messes with your sleep because Certain nootropics, definitely things like modafinil, larger doses of rhodiola rosea, uh, caffeine, these sorts of things will mess with your sleep, but a lot of things won't. B vitamins, ginkgo biloba, certainly not ashwagandha, these sorts of things shouldn't really be stimulating. So I'd say experiment a little bit, and if you find consistently that nootropics mess with your sleep, well, you could just 
take them in the early morning, take them in the early afternoon. But you also might want to write me back and let me know if that persists, and I'd be willing to help you troubleshoot it a bit. Next question. Hi, Jonathan. Can I take Nupept only, or is it always recommended to combine it with alpha-GPC? What is better and safer for liver? Nupept plus alpha-GPC or adrafenil? My goal is focus or memory. I'm a healthy adult. Thanks a lot. Okay. Ah, my old foe, adrafenil. <laughs> I repeatedly get these questions about what I regard as one of the very worst nootropics, which is adrafenil. And adrafenil was this precursor to modafinil. It's a uh, urogic wakefulness vigilance drug, but it is really inconsistent in its effect. And it has a very steep tolerance curve. I've used it a couple times myself, and it kind of works the same way that modafinil does, but the tolerance curve on it makes it almost useless. So I threw my modaf my adrafinil in the trash. I would urge you to do the same. Adrafinil is well known to have a real liver toxicity issue if you use it over and over again. So stay away from that stuff definitely. Nupept is a pretty good idea. Nupept is interesting. There's a real spectrum of response to Nupept. A proportion of people find that it's an amazing smart drug. They find that it really empowers them cognitively, that it really helps with their working memory, with their verbal memory, that it gives them a whole lot of energy and motivation. Others, like myself, don't really find that Nupept is that stimulating. We find that it's a real subtle effect that is helpful, but not really a game changer. And it is a pretty smart idea to combine it with alpha GPC. You'll need to do a little bit of dosage experimentation to see what is your optimal intake of alpha GPC, which is a, uh, which is an ACH precursor and some people need a lot of alpha-GPC or a lot of uh, acetylcholine precursor, especially if they're using racetams. Some people, not so much. So I'd suggest that you start with a low dosage of alpha-GPC along with your Nupept and then maybe try a little bit higher dosage. You'll know that you're doing too much alpha-GPC if you get a little bit drowsy. These are called kind of like the co-line blues. And obviously that's going to be counterintuitive to the effect that you want from your, from your nootropic supplementation. You could also even try Nupept taking it alone. You could try using typically what's regarded as an ideal dosage of Nupept is doing about five milligrams or 10 milligrams. So really a very small amount, uh, maybe as much as 15 milligrams and doing that two or three times a day. With Nupept, less is really more. Some people will foolishly use like 50 milligrams or 100 milligrams of Nupept and that's not a good idea. You want to keep the dosage real low of that on that stuff. Next question is from Rick. So does Dulembeck have a transference effect to working memory tasks like wordless recall, such as the one from Brain HQ or Reading Span? If not, it seems like time could be better spent doing other, other things. If Dulembeck improved these measures, it would make me want to do it. But I haven't seen anyone say his her before and after or both tests. So you're going to want to check out the recent studies that were done on dual and back, uh, Dr. Mark Ashton Smith puts out these great email newsletters that I will often reproduce on my Medium blog. And so I'll link to those. And the most recent clinical evidence with dual and back is that it has what's called near and far transfer 
in intelligence, which is what we want. If we're going to do brain training, we don't want to just get good at the brain training game or just get good on the real specific intelligence measure that the brain training game is exercising. And in the case of dual and back, yeah, it will definitely transfer to something like word list recall. In fact, bit of an anecdote here. I remember once I was going to a friend's party there in Medellin, and I had been doing a lot of dual end back training at the time. I was really into my dual end back training. My working memory was really sharp. And I asked one of my friends at the party, what was the Wi-Fi password to their Wi-Fi network there at their apartment? Because I needed to do something on my phone and I didn't have data for one reason or another. And so they told me it and it was one of those long, you know, strings of words and letters. And then about 30 minutes later, someone else at the party asked what the Wi-Fi password is. And I was able to tell them just from memory and everyone was pretty impressed. And that's the dual and back transfer effect right there. So definitely check it out. You know, dual and back, as with any other biohacking technology, it's not guaranteed to work for you. There's plenty of supplements out there and different things that you could try that you'll go out there and try it and you'll hear other people talking about how great it is and it might not actually work for you. But when there's clinical evidence showing statistical significance of transfer effect, it's really worth trying. So let, let me know how that works out for you. Next question. Last question is probably from Brazil. I think Portugal. Maybe Portugal or Brazil. Because Joao, sure. Joao is... <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's from Portugal. Okay, okay, maybe. If, if you're saying so. So, his name is Joao and he's saying, just ordered the nicotine from nicotineuk.uk dot co dot uk i just under okay how should be the best way to break it since it's 72 milligrams concentration what should be the bre the best factor to reduce it one nick two pg one nick 1.5 pg what is your take on this okay glad to hear that you're trying nicotine one of my favorite cognitive enhancers. I'll mention also nicotine.co.uk. I had also ordered from these guys and they didn't send me the nicotine. It, they, it took about a month and a half. I emailed them back and forth asking about it and they never sent it to me. So I would not recommend this source, although they are a source of pharmaceutical grade nicotine, which is what you want. If you're located in the UK, maybe you'll have better better luck than me with actually getting the product that you purchase from them. What I would suggest if you're interested in nicotine is just saunter down to a vape shop that is in your city and go ahead and ask them for nicotine solution in PG or VG solution. Uh, so that's going to be propenyl glycol. And I forget what VG stands for. But this is just a uh, hygienic solution that the nicotine is diluted in. It tastes pretty bad. It's not really an enjoyable cognitive enhancer to consume, but it can be amazing for your creativity. It can be amazing to use before you do meditation as it fires up the default network of the mind. So your unconscious will start to deliver up cool little ideas and solutions to the different things that you're dealing with in life. It's, it's an interesting smart drug and it is, it is pretty low risk. Nicotine, it has a real nasty connotation because, of course, people think of cigarettes that give you cancer. And the evidence is not really there that nicotine itself causes cancer. So some of you may want to try it like Zhao. To answer your question more specifically here, 
you don't need to break it because it's going to be diluted already in, I believe, PG solution. That's what I ordered from nicotine, uh, UK.co.uk. And that's what you can find at any vape shop. So what you can do is you can get a little dropper and you can fill up the dropper with the nicotine. And then you'll want to take a few drops of the stuff and put it underneath your tongue inside of your mouth and then let it sit in your mouth for in between like 30 seconds to 60 seconds and it will absorb through your, it'll absorb through your, uh, your skin in your mouth is actually a bit more uh, direct absorption pathway and you don't need to worry about diluting it down. What you do need to worry about a bit though is just not taking too much of the stuff. If you take too much of the stuff, you'll get a you'll get a headache, you'll be overstimulated. You can even sometimes get a little bit of a sore throat because nicotine is poisonous, so if you're putting uh, if way too much of it is going down your throat, then that's not going to be great. But it's good to go in the form that it comes to you in. I, I don't think there's anyone out there on the market that would actually sell you pure nicotine. Pure nicotine would be not a good idea at all to consume because it is extremely potent stuff. The products, particularly like the Blue Brain product, nicotine that I like quite a bit that I got started with. That stuff is like 5% nicotine or 7% nicotine. It's very little because it is such potent stuff and it really is poisonous, but you don't need to worry about diluting it. And that concludes the questions that we received in this Q&A podcast. That's true. So as always, I am Jonathan. I'm Gargana. And we look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com dot com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com. It squeaks. <laughs> it squeaks. They're kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. No. Does okay. Ariel squeak or squeal? She yips. She yips? Yeah, she's a little yippy dog. <laughs>